I would like to, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And while you're opening there, um, let me tell you a, a quick story about um, one of our many experiences in the jungles of Peru. Amy and I and our kids, we were all in the van and, and we were driving from uh, one city, Moyobamba, to uh, our town where, where we lived for many years, Tarapoto. And um, as we're driving, it's like 10 o'clock at night or something, and normally you don't want to uh, travel the roads at night in Peru, and uh, especially when you're in, in the jungle area. And, uh, but it, this is a, a paved road, so it's, uh, it's a good road there. But uh, we're driving along, and there was, uh, uh, came around a curve, and there was a whole bunch of cars all parked right there on the edge, and a whole bunch of people. And, and people were waving their arms and yelling at us. And, and I thought they were, we have a van, and it kind of looks like what they call a colectivo. Uh, where, you, where guys, they have these vans that drive around and pick up people and you, everybody pays uh, about 25 cents and they get you on to the next, next town. And, and I was just thinking, oh, well, we're not picking anybody up. Our van is full. And uh, so I just ignored them and I went around them. And so we kept on going a couple more curves and then there was about five or six more people on this curve and they're like waving at us and yelling at us and no, no. And I thought, man, everybody around here wants, wants a ride. And, but they're, they're kind of... Uh, uh, urgent about this. And I thought, that's strange. But anyway, I just kept on going, totally ignored it. I went around another curve. Somebody came running out of their house waving. I just ignored them, kept going. Another one, another person waving. I just kept, I ignored everybody. Finally, I came around another curve and I drove right into about five guys with machine guns and ski masks on. And they had, they had put a, a log across the road. We had to slam on the brakes. And they always do these assaults right on, the, on an S in the road so that the guy's coming from this way. It's right when they come around the curve. Or if you're coming from this way, it's right when you come around the curve. And so they get guys from both sides. They had, they had trapped a couple of cars there already. They had, they had guys on the ground. They were smashing this one guy's head into the ground. It, it, it was an assault. And we drove right into it. I mean, the guy with the machine gun was probably for me to the bench right there. And um, anyway, I'll leave you hanging on the story, what happens there. But uh, my point with the illustration is we got warning after warning after warning, and I did not heed any of the warnings. I just kept on going. And it is possible that you're here tonight, and you have heard warning after warning after warning about the wrath of God that is to come, and judgment day. And you have heard the message of new life and abundant life in Jesus Christ that we just heard from Christian. Fantastic. Perfectly said. Thank you, brother. But many of us, we've heard this many times, and especially being here in the United States. Many Americans, we hear this message, but so often we just ignore it and warning after warning comes your way. Maybe you grew up going to a camp and little, when you were little, you heard these things. Um, maybe some of you uh, visited a church at one time when you were in high school and, and you heard these things preached. Or maybe you turned into the radio one time, you heard one of these messages about judgment to come, but forgiveness in Jesus Christ and you kind of were thinking about it a little bit, but you just let it kind of fade off into the distance and you didn't heed, heed that warning either. And oh, I, I just want to give you one last warning. Maybe this is the last one. And what will you do with this message tonight? 
Warning, warning, warning. And this really fits in with my topic that I'm speaking on in the morning. And really, I think it's going well with Scott's at the same, kind of coming in, in the same idea of urgency in these last days. 60 minutes to go on the hourglass of human history, the last sands of, of human history in the grain or last grains of sand going through that hourglass on the time clock of human history or maybe it's your life i mean you're here for such a short amount of time in comparison to eternity what will you do with the gospel message and the fact that judgment day is coming so i'd like to read this passage right here i'm going to read genesis chapter 6 verses 5 to 13 This is the flood of Noah. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let's pray before we go any further. Father God, we stand before you this evening, whether we realize it or not. And we have just read a passage about your wrath that was carried out in a catastrophic way some 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. We can't be sure, Lord, but um, boy, there's a lot of evidence all over the planet that this catastrophic worldwide flood did take place. And as we look at this, this short story here, Lord, I pray that this uh, message would just drive us to our knees as we recognize that judgment is coming once again. Help us to heed the warnings that we find in Your Word. I pray that we would allow ourselves to be wooed by Your love and Your grace and Your mercy that You're extending to us sinners who don't deserve love or grace or mercy. Oh God, we pray that You would do great things in our hearts, that You would turn us to Yourself. So we put these few minutes into your hands asking that you would speak to us and that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. There are many parallels and kind of comparisons between this story of Noah and the flood and what happened at the cross of Christ and Calvary 
2,000 years ago. And I just want to bring out, I, I think, five or six comparisons uh, and contrasts here. But the, the first one would be judgment, past and future. And I've already kind of started to go into this, but judgment, past and future. This story, we have a story here right in the beginning of the Bible. I mean, God creates the whole world and, and creates mankind and puts them on the planet just a few pages before. And just a few pages, you, you flip over like three pages and you're in chapter six and already the earth is full of corruption and violence and sin and wickedness and God comes in his judgment and wipes everything out. I mean, can you imagine the wickedness at that time in human history? And then you look at us now. Look at the world in which we live now. Uh, I mean, yeah, we could point to abortion, the murder of so many babies worldwide. Um, we could point to just pornography. Pornography now is completely destroying an entire generation across the planet. I mean, unbelievable. Not, not, just, not just like a younger generation, a younger, middle-aged, older generation. It's unbelievable. Just destroying an entire, entire generation across the planet. Racism everywhere. That's kind of raised its ugly head all over again in the United States of America. Um, you go to Peru, racism is everywhere there too. Um, alcoholism, drugs, terrorism, uh, atheism, relativism, uh, euthanasia, materialism in the United States, suicide numbers up more than ever before. But you just think, you think kind of of, of some of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Wow, we've got, we've got a whole camp full of, of liars. And we shouldn't really laugh, I guess. It's one of the Ten Commandments, one of God's high commands. Um, Thou shalt not steal. Have any of you ever stolen anything, irregardless of its value? A few less hands, but the ones that didn't raise their hands, I don't believe you because most of you raised your hands on the liar part, so you might be lying. But, so, okay, thieves and liars. Okay, maybe I want to ask you to raise your hand on this one. Adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus says in the New Testament, if you even look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. That really complicates things. And I just mentioned pornography. I mean, what are you thinking? We're all guilty of adultery too. Honor your father and mother. Have you all, have you ever, any of you ever dishonored your parents in any way? My own kids are raising their hands. Um, using God's name in vain. Lowering God's holy name to a cuss word. You hit your thumb with a hammer and he used God's name as a cuss word. That's blasphemy. And th this is just, I mean, we hear this all the time. I mean, th I think today while we were hiking, passing some people, I probably heard the name of Jesus Christ used as a cuss word like three or four times just as we were walking. I mean, this is just, this is a normal, this is a normal thing. That's blasphemy. And you think of the wickedness at the time of, of Noah there. And it's, I mean, it's very, it says it several times. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was very great on the earth. Everyone, every intention of his heart and thoughts and his, of his heart was only evil continually. All flesh had corrupted themselves. And I think we're at that point once again on planet earth. 60 minutes to go. 
60 minutes to go. We're right at the end of human history and, and God is going to bring judgment once again. And all of us are under sin. What will you do on judgment day? What will you do on that day when God raises you from the tomb? What will you do on that day when the Ten Commandments are set before you and before God and He finds out, He finds that you are you're an adulterer, you're a thief, you're a liar, you're a blasphemer, you've dishonored your parents, you've broken all the Ten Commandments. What will you do on that day? What will you do on that day when the flaming eyes of Jesus Christ penetrate into your guilty soul? What will you do on that day? And I, I'm sorry, I don't want to be too hard, but I think that as we look in the scriptures, we see the depravity of man, and the gospel has to start with that. You've got to start with the bad news before you get to the good news. And really, when you start to recognize how bad the bad news is, you understand how good the good news is all of a sudden. We'll get to the good news here, but just let me give an illustration of, of, of this, like judgment to come. And I, I, sharing the gospel, sharing the love of Christ with people, but at the same time, talking about judgment to come, a lot of times I'll be talking to people and they'll be telling me, well, come on. I mean, God is love. I, I, come on, he's not going to send people to hell. And really, this judgment and everything that happens in, in the book of Revelation, that's, that's pretty, you know, over the top. Um, let's suppose that I go and I rob, uh, I, I steal a car that, out there, and uh, I, I start driving through camp, through, through Yosemite, and I start, I pull out my gun, and I don't actually have one, but let's just suppose, I pull out my gun, and I, I just start shooting people. And, and, and then, I mean, some of the, the rangers are after me, but the rangers aren't as good as the LAPD, and so I'm like, I'm away, I'm getting away from them, and, and I get into town, I, I get into town where there's a bank, I rob the bank, Got a couple of million dollars cash in there with me. And uh, along the way, I'm, I'm killing people. I'm, I'm breaking all kinds of laws. And uh, finally, they catch up with me. And um, they take me before the judge. And I go before the judge, and I tell the judge, and the judge is just like, look at, look at everything that you just did. I mean, look at all the infractions of the law. The list is so long, like I can't even explain it all. I mean, you're looking at life in prison or the, the death penalty if you're in Texas. But, I mean, and then I say at this point, oh, judge, now look, I'm really sorry. I am. I, I'm like, and I kind of start crying a little bit, and I'm sorry. I, I really am. I wish I didn't do that. And he looks at me and he says, oh, you're sorry. This is so good. I love sorry people. And I have grace and mercy toward all sorry people. I'll just, I'm going to let you go. It, David Dixon, is that going to happen? No. If that happens, that judge is actually more corrupt than the criminals he should be condemning. Don't you think? Like a good judge has to carry out justice. And we're talking about the God of the universe, the creator of all things. He is just and he is holy. And actually, listen to this, this is the most shocking doctrine that should scare all, the scariest doctrine in the Bible about who God is, is this. God is good. Now, none of you fell off their bench, so I can see none of you are very scared right now. But it's actually, this is a terrifying doctrine for bad men. 
And all of you raised your hand. You've broken the, those high, and, uh, high requirements of God's law. We've all broken them. I do not say that I'm any better. I know myself. I am probably worse chief of sinners in this group. I deserve nothing less than the wrath of God. And he is a just and holy God, and he's good. And that's a major problem. If he's good, he cannot cover his eyes and just pretend that he didn't see it. Or he can't just, oh, you're sorry. I'll just, I'll just let you go. No, 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 no. There must be a payment. We see in the Bible right from the beginning, actually, at Adam and Eve when they sinned, some animal had to die. Skins had to be provided to clothe Adam and Eve. And then we see these animal sacrifices all through the Old Testament, and it really all points to that one and final sacrifice, the Lamb of God who would come and take away the sin of the world. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It's because God is holy and just, and he punishes sin. He actually punishes sin, contrary to what most Americans think, because we don't read our Bibles anymore. But you read this, and, and, and this story, it's just kind of like shocking. Isn't that kind of overboard? I mean, God, he, he just saves one family here, and he just floods the entire earth, like wipes them all out? The thing is, God is just, and you see that right here at the beginning of the Bible. Another thing, so, so judgment, past and future. Oh, I want to say real quickly, just look at the fossil record. You look at the fossil record, and it's, it's amazing. Basically, you see billions of dead things that are buried in rock layers, and those rock layers have been laid down by water all over the earth. You see this all over the earth. So you look at the fossil record, and you should not say, wow, evolution. No, you look at the fossil record, and you say, wow, worldwide flood. Exact, just what the story here in Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9 talks about this worldwide flood would actually form the fossil record the way that we see it. And just the geography, I, I don't know how maybe a lot of this was formed by receding waters from the flood, the Grand Canyon. I mean, this world in which we live, the geography has to be way different than what it was originally from what the flood would have done to this planet. Okay, judgment. It's obvious that something happened in the past. Just looking at the fossil record, God judged this world once and he's promised to do it again. Okay, my next comparison, kind of thinking of this story in light of, of New Testament truth. There's one way of salvation in this story. The ark. Noah builds an ark. And, and, and you, we understand it. It seems like he's building this. They get, the, the flood actually happens 120 years later. It seems that Noah's building this thing for 120 years. And it actually says in, in Peter, 2 Peter, it says that he's a preacher of righteousness. And uh, so Noah, preacher of righteousness, I imagine that Noah, he probably had his own little Bible chapel in his town. Maybe it was a gospel hall. Um, maybe he's Baptist, I don't know. But uh, I imagine he preached often. He probably preached open air on the street corner from time to time in his town. And everybody, they would see him working on this thing and he's building it. And I imagine that people would come, you know, Noah would be getting his microphone ready and setting up kind of a portable po podium and everything when he's going to go and uh, preach open air. And some people would start to gather around from his town. Noah was fun to listen to. 
I imagine he was a good preacher like that. They liked to listen to him and then kind of sit back and laugh at the crazy preacher, John the Baptist type, this is before John the Baptist. But uh, he was the first crazy preacher. Well, maybe Enoch was. But um, back to Noah. So kind of a crowd gathers around. And, and Noah, as he's getting ready to preach, and they're, hey, Noah, what are you going to preach today? And Noah said, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. It's the only way to be saved. It's going to rain. Worldwide flood. You've got to get into the ark. It's the only way that anyone will be saved. Even the animals are going to get, if they're going to be saved, they need to get in the ark. Noah, so that was kind of his open air message. But then he went to breaking the bread early, probably Saturday morning back then. But, uh, all the, uh, the few people that would come to his, his gospel hall, and they'd kind of gather around, and nobody really wanted to give the message. So, Noah, Noah, could you give the message? What's, what's the message, Noah? You got a message, I'm sure. And Noah looks at him. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. At breakfast with his little boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, little guys, sitting around the dinner table or breakfast table, now they're making toast, and maybe they ate monkey brains like we do in the jungle too, spreading those on the toast there. And as Japheth is getting ready to take a, a good bite, and hey, Dad, what's what's the devotional this morning? What's the reflection? Oh, boys, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Okay, you get it. That, that, that's his message. He probably went around preaching this everywhere. There's only one way that we're going to be saved. A worldwide flood is coming. God is going to judge the world. We're building an ark. You've got to get into the ark. And what a picture of the New Testament as we see Jesus is our ark. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus died on the cross it was the one way, it provides the one way of salvation. Jesus himself, he said, I, you talk to a lot of people and like, man, Jesus is the man. I love Jesus. He was great. And so was Buddha. And so was, and, and you can just list all these different religions. And, and you know, any way, any religion you want to, will all kind of take you to heaven. And Jesus was one of those. He was one of those great prophets of old. But he's just one of the ways. But you know, Jesus said some really exclusive things. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, that's a really exclusive statement. That's really exclusive. But you know, truth by definition excludes that which is false. And so either Jesus is lying, or he's crazy, or he's Lord. Or he's actually who he claimed to be. The Son of God who took on human flesh, lived among us, lived the perfect life that we didn't live, that we couldn't live, and then died as a perfect sacrifice. Once again, blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And here we have the Lamb of God. And it's interesting. It is man who has sinned against God. So man must be punished. It's very important that Jesus was fully man so that the sacrifice was really appropriate. Man had to suffer the wrath of God. Therefore, Jesus, 100% man. Born of a virgin, though, 
didn't inherit original sin like the rest of us, very, very important also that Jesus is God, fully God and fully man. He needs to be God because that makes his sacrifice of infinite value. What? The Son of God took on flesh, fully man, yet fully God, forming the perfect sacrifice. Man who must suffer. God who must be the one who pays if it's really going to be an infinite sacrifice. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Trust in Christ while there's time. There's one way to be saved. At the time of Noah, get in the ark. Only one way to be saved. In our day, only one way to be saved from the wrath to come. It's Jesus Christ. He's our ark. Oh, Acts, Acts 4.12. Another one of those exclusive verses that the apostles preached when the church was, was beginning to spring up and spread all across the Mediterranean churches, but they believed this doctrine that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I'm sorry, that's not Acts 4.12. Yeah, and I'm thinking First uh, Timothy 5.2. No other name given, 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 given among men by which we must be saved. These exclusive verses. Okay, yeah, for me there is. Brain freeze. But uh, one way, that, that is, that's an amazing, one time I was on, the, on an airplane, and uh, I was sitting on the airplane next to this, this lady and just kind of struck up a friendly conversation with her. And, uh, and just pretty soon, I, I, she, uh, it came out that I was a Bible-believing Christian. And uh, she looked at me with kind of utter disdain. And she goes, oh, are you one of those kind of Christians that believe Jesus is the only way? You exclusive Christians. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Bible, uh, the Bible teaches that, and yeah, that's what I believe. And, and she's just, oh, that is, that is just, that is so wrong. And um, anyway, as we got talking a little bit more, I said, you know, what if uh, we had an announcement from the pilot himself on the airplane, and, and, and he comes over the intercom, and he says, uh, hey, everyone in the airplane, I just, uh, all you passengers, we thank you for flying with Delta, and uh, we just want to try something new with the airplane um, on our landing today. We're going to attempt to land this plane upside down. Uh, it, would that be okay? I asked the lady this, and she, she's, no, no, of course not. No, you can't land the plane upside down. And then I was like, well, okay, so what if he changes it up a little bit? And he says, we're going to attempt to land this airplane on, it, on the right wing. Is that okay? No, you can't, no. Left wing? No. Are you suggesting there's only one way to land this plane? And then she, she oh, okay, I get it, yeah. But then talking about that whole idea of, of that which is true excludes that which is false. And, and Jesus presents himself as the only way of salvation. A lot of religions in the world, but really, I would say there's just two religions in the world. You can boil it down to two. One religion that has a thousand names worldwide, all over the place. One religion that has a thousand names, whatever name you want to put on it. It basically teaches be good and do good, be faithful to your religion, and in the end, it'll turn out good for you. The other one is biblical Christianity that teaches it doesn't matter how good you are, you still need a Savior. 
It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And then the flip side, the other side of that coin is, it doesn't matter how bad you are. You can have grace and mercy and God's love. You can be forgiven. You can have a real relationship with the living God of the universe and you can be sure of this salvation. Abundant life, you can have it. And you can know you have it. New life begins in Christ and Christ alone. So this one way of salvation. Let me give an illustration here. One time in the jungle, we were, um, we were sleeping in, in, in our mosquito nets in our house. And this is about two in the morning. And uh, I, I heard something at the back of the house. And our house has this big wall around the whole thing. And uh, at the back of the house is, is, is our kitchen. And the whole thing is walled in. The back of the house is a yard. Once again, walled in. And so I go to the back, back window um, in the kitchen. And there's a curtain over the window. And, and I, I, I pull back the curtain. And I find myself nose to nose with a thief that's trying to get in in the window and I, I like scream ah and he screams ah and then he went running he he climbed up over jumped over the fence and went and I saw him just booking it down the road and I kept on screaming ah like that but uh if you want to visit me you need to come at a proper hour and then you come to the front door and just knock and I'll open up the door you can come in but you don't jump over the wall like the, at 2 in the morning and try to come in through the window. This is what the religions of the world are trying to do. And, and many cults and sects of Christianity, they're trying to actually create another window or, or a different door into heaven. When Jesus says, I am the door, John 10 Jesus is the door. There's not another door. There's no, no window. There, there's no other way, a ladder to get into heaven from the backside. No, Jesus is the door, and you need to come to him at a proper hour. What I mean is, while you still have life, while you still have blood pumping through your veins, come to Christ now. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. I feel like I'm echoing. So those of you way out there, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. Come to Christ while there's still time. Oh, he loves you. He loves you. But yes, judgment is coming, and it's because he is just, and he is holy, and he is righteous, and it is right for him to one day judge. But oh, we see his grace that he is extending us more and more time. Yes, the problem of suffering, yes, the problem of evil in this world will be taken care of. Oh, God will take care of it. But actually, praise the Lord, he hasn't taken care of it yet. Because he's giving you more time to draw near and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because judgment day is coming. It's going to rain. Okay, judgment, past and future, one way of salvation. Another thing that I want to point out here is the wrath of God actually rained down on that ark. Once Noah and his family got in, shocking, no one else gets in. I mean, the animals, the animals get in. They're a lot smarter than we are, but no one and his family get in, and the animals, and God actually shuts that door. 
Noah doesn't shut it. God shuts that door. Noah, even if he wanted, like, oh, I've got some friends out there. You got, uh, I'm going to leave the door open a little while. No, 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 no. God's the one that shut that door. I would love to leave it open a little longer so I can get some of my friends and family in, experience the grace of God, the love, the mercy, because it's going to rain. Wrath is coming. But it's not up to Noah to shut that door or, or leave it open. God shuts the door, and then it begins to rain. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be on the outside of that ark and all of the sudden, let's say you lived in the town where Noah preached. You heard him preach and he was fun to listen to, but he was fun to mock also. And, and, and all of a sudden, Noah is in the ark. The door's shut now. No construction's happening. And that long line of animals is gone. And, and, and all of a sudden, it begins to rain. And I mean, I imagine, I don't know what it was like. We don't get a description, but uh, well, we do get a description of these, these fountains of the deep are broken up. So there's probably geysers of water just like shooting out of the ground, just spraying fire hydrant water just everywhere. And then these great, I imagine these bombs, 100-pound water balloons. No, not the balloon part, but just these 100-pound gotas, drops of water, just pounding the ground everywhere. I don't know if this will work very well. No, it doesn't work very well. I need something. I need a good pulpit to pound on. This, I'll, I'll break it. But yeah, I need something that, like a cajon. Is there a cajon? Okay, yeah, I'll just keep going. Keep going. I, I, I want to just make, get the sound of these bombs just everywhere, these huge drops of water just hitting the ground everywhere. And the guys are springing up everywhere. Can you imagine can you, and then the people, the water is beginning to rise. The rivers are blowing out. And then the people are just on the outside of the ark, just hitting, hitting that wall. No! Open the door! No! Open! Open! We believe you now! Noah couldn't open that door even if he wanted to. I mean, the sense of urgency that these guys must have felt, those being on the outside of the ark... Imagine the wrath of God that poured out on Jesus now. So the wrath of God poured out in the form of great drops of rain pouring down on that ark, on the roof of that ark, but the, the roof just shedding all that water, and they were safe inside. When Jesus died on the cross, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin was made sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That means that's two imputations is the word that theologians use. Our sin was imputed to Jesus and He went to the cross to suffer the wrath of God for our sin. Our sin was put on Him and as He dies, those that come to faith in Christ, His righteousness is imputed or given to the believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to talk about this. Our sins put on Jesus, and he suffered actually the white-hot wrath of the living God. That's what happened at the cross. Jesus suffered what you should have had to suffer. He paid what you and I should have had to pay. Suffer the wrath of God. L let me give an illustration. Let me give an illustration. I'm, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to punch you right now. This, this part of the illustration. So just gear up, no blocking, and you can't retaliate, okay? So in this illustration, I am going to be God. 
and you're the sinner. I'm sorry about this, but uh, it, it's going to really show a good illustration here. So just kind of get your nose ready. So God, in his white hot wrath, is angry with the sinner. And here comes his wrath for the sinner. Are you ready? You see this right here? This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came when the white hot wrath of God is coming for the sinner. Jesus took the wrath that was for you. That was for me. Jesus took on the wrath of God so that you don't have to suffer it. Oh, what a demonstration of his love. His mercy, his grace. Oh, he paid the price that you should have had to pay. He suffered the white, once again, I mean, all of the rain that came down on that ark, 40 days and 40 nights, just wave after wave after wave after wave of the wrath of God in the form of rain. Jesus suffered that same kind of wrath from God the Father as he suffered on the cross, wave after wave after wave of God's wrath as Jesus suffered it on the cross. The wrath of God rained down on the ark, and it rained down on Christ. So let me just give you a warning at the end of that point right there. If you're not in Christ, you're under the wrath of God. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who, does not, he who rejects the Son abides under the wrath of God. So what will you do with Jesus? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Oh, but the love of God. He's paid the price that you should have had to pay. Come to Jesus while there's still time. Another thing that I want to point out here is saved by faith. Noah and his family that went into the ark, they, they, they had to trust that the ark was going to float. This thing hadn't been tested. I mean, they're building this ark 120 years, this great big thing, and I mean, who knows if that thing's going to float. It probably was just a miracle of God that it did. But uh, they had to trust, okay, God said that this is going to happen. He told me to build this ark, and we're just going to trust him, and, and we're going to do it. Trust and obey. This is faith. They were saved by faith, just as you were saved by faith, trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus had provided on your behalf. Faith, they're saved by faith. In this famous verse from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Saved by faith from the beginning to the end. As it began to rain and flood, Surely there were people on the outside screaming to get in, but it was too late. You need to act in faith while there's still time. You know, a, an illustration of faith, or, or someone has said, you know, kind of faith has, the saving faith has, has three things, three elements to it. A saving faith involves emotion, it involves information, and it involves an act of the will. These three things coming together to... to, to um, Provide a saving faith. You need emotion. Noah said it's going to rain. And uh, I'm kind of afraid he might be right. And he's building this ark. And man, I, 
I, I want to get in that. I mean, if it's going to flood and rain like he's talking about, and he's saying we got to get in the ark, I want in the ark. you got to want it. You got, there's got to be some emotion. If you're just like, oh, that, that guy is just, that guy's crazy. No, and you just mock him, and, and there's, there's no emotion that, that, yeah, I want that. It's got to start there. Then you need some information. You need some information. And as far as the information goes, we, we've got 66 books of the canon of Scripture right here. And, and every single one of these books, the main point is Jesus. Every single one of these books points to Jesus in some way. And the prophecies that we see that are fulfilled about the person of Jesus and the Messiah that would come. I mean, everything. The Old Testament is preparation for the coming Messiah. The four Gospels are basically the story of the manifestation of the Messiah. The book of Acts is basically the story of the proclamation that the early church had about the Messiah. And then you get into the, the epistles. And basically, that's explanation about what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then you've got the book of Revelation. And you see how the whole, the consummation of the story, consummation of the ages, how the story ends in Christ ruling in a new world where righteousness dwells. I mean, the whole Bible, it's all about Jesus from the beginning to the end. And it's all about coming to him in faith. You've got to have that information. And then you need an act of the will. You need to actually take that emotion, I want it. You take the information that you're hearing and I'm trying to describe tonight. You take that information and then you appropriate it. You grab a hold of that, believing it. You actually put your life in Jesus' hands. That's an act of the will. It's like a parachute. Anybody done parachuting before here? A few. Um, I imagine you have to want to jump out of a plane before you're going to, I mean, I don't really want to, so like I, I'm not emotional to, to do it, but you obviously, Michael, you had like the emotion, I want to do this. But, but then I imagine they probably, you know, gave you some instructions on how to put the parachute on, how to strap it on real good. They gave you all, like they probably showed you where the cord is to pull. So, okay, someone, yeah. But there's a lot of instruction and information, I'm sure, there, and uh, information, emotion, information. But then, once you're up there and they open up that door and you look out, I imagine, I imagine there's probably a lot of people that back out. Oh, no, no, I'm out. Okay, yeah, I'm not doing it. You've got to have this act of the will, actually jump out. Those three things coming together, emotion, information, act of the will, very, it's a good illustration of saving faith. I want Jesus. I see the information about him in the scriptures, but then it takes an act of the will. I put my life in his hands. Last thing, a new creation. Uh, Noah and his, and his family and, and the animals, after a full year in the ark, finally the waters are subsiding. They get out of the ark and they walk into a new world. I mean, it's the same planet, but it's, it's like this is a new creation. I mean, what a picture of once you come to Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ. They've started all over. Brand new life. Oh, we can start this whole thing over again. New creatures in Christ. You know, if I came 
uh, this evening, and, and, and I came, and I, 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 in the beginning, I told you, you know what? I was out on, on the highway coming in. We, we went out to get gasoline, and, and we got out to the highway, and, and the, our, we had to fix uh, the tire was low, and I, I had to do something there by our, our truck. And so uh, when I was out there working on it, a semi-truck came going about 100 miles an hour, and uh, I, I couldn't get out of the way in time, and it just ran right over the top of me. Just, I mean, totally smashed me. And, and I'm standing here before you tonight as, as handsome as you see me. Would you believe me that I had an encounter with a semi-truck about two hours ago? No, you should not believe me. I would be a changed man. My face would be different and everything like that. If you have an encounter with a semi-truck, you're going to be changed. How much more if you have an encounter with the living God? You're going to be changed. Transformed. There's going to be a big-time difference. And this, this idea, they came into a new world, big-time new world, totally different. Those who come to Christ experience the transformation. Let me, uh, I just want to point this out. If you back up one chapter, chapter 5, look at this really quickly. There's a genealogy in chapter 5. And uh, look at, it starts with Adam in verse 3. Adam lived 130 years. He fathered a son. So, so I'll just go through the names, though. Adam. Then it says Seth in verse 6. 9. Verse 9 is Enosh. Then, it, then it's Kenan in 12. Verse 15, Mahalalel. In, in verse 18, Jared. Verse 21, Enoch. Then it's Methuselah in 25. And then we get to Lamech, Lamech in 28. Then in, in 32, it's Noah. So if you just looked at the meanings, looked up the meanings to all these names... Adam means man. Uh, Seth means appointed one or appointed. Um, Enosh means mortal. The next one is uh, Kenan. That means sadness. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means comes down or will come down. Um, Enoch means teacher or teaching. Uh, Methuselah means his death brings, which is fascinating because it seems that the year Methuselah died was the year the flood came. His death brings. Like Enoch named his kid Methuselah as a prophecy of what's coming when this guy, his death brings something. Lamech means the desperate ones. And Noah means comfort or rest. So if you just wrote down the, the meanings to those names, and then if you just read the meanings, it's a gospel message in a genealogy in chapter 5 of Genesis. Look at this. I'll just read the meanings. Oh, oh no, I'll ju- I won't even put in articles to make complete sentences. I'll just read the meanings. Man, appointed mortal sadness. The blessed God will come down teaching. His death brings the desperate ones comfort and rest. That, that's the gospel in the meaning of names in a genealogy that you always skip over when you're reading it. At least I do. I mean, I'm not making this up myself. Taking a class in Old Testament survey, the professor showed us this in Hebrew. Those are the names. And then I noticed in other commentaries, they point this out. Unbelievable. Right from the beginning of the Bible, in a genealogy that you just like kind of rush through, you've got the gospel right from the beginning. In the beginning, there was life and light and love. And everything that we see in this world is meant to reflect that light and life and love. God is light in life and love. But as we look at this world in which we live, you see some of the light in life and love, but man, 
it's been really marred. And we actually see a lot of the opposite. Because what do you do, where do you go when you reject light? Where do you go but to darkness? Where do you go when you reject love but to disconnection? Where do you go when you reject death, or no, life, but to death? And that's exactly what this world has done. We've rejected light and life and love, and we've gone to darkness and death and disconnection. And we see in this world a whole lot of darkness and death and disconnection. So what does God do as he looks at this darkness and death and disconnection in this world? Light and life and love actually takes on human flesh and lives in our darkness experiences our disconnection. And you're all looking at a bear that's back there now. Is there a bear? Maybe the... This is awesome. So Jesus is the Messiah. He comes and He lives in our darkness and death and disconnection. In this world where bears can attack you and we're all afraid. And then Jesus, He takes that darkness and death and disconnection down into the grave. And then he rises again, conquering darkness and death and disconnection. And he says, he says to you, you in darkness, come to my light. You in death, come to my life. You in disconnection, come to my love. What will you do with Jesus? Here at the end of the ages, with just 60 minutes to go, and the storm is coming. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Come to Christ while there's still time. Come to the ark. There's only one door while there's still time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Noah and how everything points to the cross of Christ, points to the judgment, the judgment day that is coming. Oh God, we thank you that you are gracious and you are merciful and you are light and life and love and you're offering us light and life and love. Help us, Lord. We pray that you would do great things here in these last days in which we're living. Use us for your glory as we draw near to you. So, Lord, we put our lives into your hands asking that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.